All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. I'm your host, Jono, and I am super excited because we have an absolute rock star in the industry on the line this week. Now, I know I say that about every guest every week, but this person is actually a rock star. He specializes in helping fitness professionals and other people as well, I believe, train clients on the autism spectrum. He's the founder of Autism Fitness. Uh, He's been doing it for over 20 years. He's probably, well, he's definitely one of the best, if not the best person in this space to help fitness professionals on this topic here. So without further ado, all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina, let me introduce the one and only Mr. Eric Chesson. Eric, how are you? Thank you, Jono. I, I think that's the first time in 20 years I've ever been referred to as a rock star where there wasn't <laughs> some type of irony to it. <laughs> Although there might still be, and I'm okay with it. (laughs) No, no, no. In that space, like you got to admit, you know, there's very few people in that fitness space that help fitness professionals on this topic here. You're one of the best and you have probably the most certified course, if not one of the, right? That, that That is entirely true. I will not dispute any of that. Awesome. Well, let's get into it, Eric. Tell us a little bit about you. You know, who are you? What's autism fitness? Um, And tell us this story. You've been on it for 20 years. Don't give me the elevator pitch in a minute. I want you to tell me the next, you know, 10, 15 minutes. What is it you do and how'd you get into it? Okay. So I'll give you the broken elevator pitch where it's stuck on a floor for 15 minutes. (laughs) Uh, which, Which is something I'm very familiar with having grown up in New York. So I started out um, I grew up on, on Long Island, and as I talk quicker and faster and get more excited, that Long Island accent might actually come out. So I'm, I'm a very uh, new resident to, to Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, growing up on Long Island, I, I had that like 80s into early 90s childhood where we still played outside. We played a variety of different sports. We, I grew up in an apartment complex near the Long Island Sound. So we used to sneak down between a hole in the fence and go down to what we referred to as the swamp. We would cross train tracks. In many ways, shapes and forms, I I could have been maimed or killed numerous different times, um, either either by uh, electrified things, sharp things, hard things, falls, um, or traffic. And gradually as I got older, you know, it spent less time playing outside and more time playing organized sports. So my thing was baseball. Um, and then I had that experience that I think a lot of people in the fitness space have where you're good up to a certain point, or you're the all-star in little league up to a certain point. And then there's that big drop-off competitively and skill-wise. And that definitely happened for me. And I didn't have anything else. Like I didn't fall back on another sport or another activity. So in that space, I kind of got, I got sedentary and I wasn't doing anything a lot physical and I started gaining weight. And then by middle school, I was, you know, the roly poly kid in, in the class and I didn't like it. And it definitely had some 
uh, detrimental effects on my self-esteem and how I viewed myself, how I interacted with peers and classmates. And I, I became, uh, I, I wouldn't say 100% uh, angry all the time, but I definitely had had my moments of not liking uh, my classmates uh, all that much. And then one day around my junior year, so 11th grade in, in high school, I just walked into the weight room one day. I had no idea, Jonna, what I was doing. I said, I, I want to make a change. I go, I go into the weight room. I think I started playing around on the old rusty universal machine that they had. Again, I, I had no idea what a pec deck was. I had no idea what a pull-up was. I had no, no idea, but I knew I wanted to make some change. So um, I, I started doing calisthenics and body weight stuff, you know, just the things that you kind of have a construct of when you're young, like I should do push-ups and jumping jacks and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and gradually it, it began to take on um, really this space in my life. And it wasn't a hundred percent linear process. It was like, okay, I did this for five weeks and then I stopped. And then, um, and then I discovered martial arts and started doing Jit Kune Do and started uh, doing uh, kickboxing. And then the emergence of fitness again, where I started finding something with the emergence of, you know, the early wild west internet started finding some information. I was, I'll say I was fortunate that I found pretty good information early on, um, like T Nation and Ian King and and people who actually knew what they were doing in the space. Charles Staley, the, those, you know, some of those, I won't call them the early pioneers because certainly, you know, Verkashansky would have something to say about that. But, you know, the early pioneers of the Internet era of, of fitness. And so that really became a lifestyle for me. And when I graduated so i graduated uh, i went into undergraduate um and wound up graduating with a degree in forensic psychology of all oh, things wow. okay but i knew i wanted to do something in fitness so i thought well i want to do something with with fitness and psychology and that and, and that's how i got into autism fitness but for me in in my own uh fitness life i have i i, I always come back to general strength and conditioning because i just love lifting heavy things and moving them around, but I've competed in Olympic lifting. I've competed in powerlifting um, alongside my wife. I have, um, what else have I, I done? And then I, I just returned to Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, after a 20-year hiatus because oh, wow. I was lifting like six days a week. And I said, I'm not burning out from lifting, but I need something to lift for right now. So uh, after, after about 20 years, I, I returned to, uh, BJJ. So now, you know, lifting life for me looks like a combination of strength training and conditioning in my garage gym and, uh, and, and going to jujitsu, you know, two to four nights a week. What, uh, what belt? Blue. Oh, wow. Okay. I just, started I, I, I have my blue belt. Evidently I've retained my blue belt skills, which is curious, uh, and it's just fun, you know, at, at this point, it's, I, I just like going back and rolling and it's cool. Mm. I, I think the kind of the pinnacle moment for me in, in returning was I hadn't rolled in 20 years. I've been strength. I've been strength training for, for all that time. I went back, my cardio is good. Like mm. I can, I can hang the entire time and it's, it's always fun, you know, in your late thirties and now me in, in my early forties, when you can you know, outlast a 20 something year old. Mm. That's fun. It's yeah. fun. It's something for everybody to, you know, if you're not in that space now, it's something to look forward to. Yes, that's true. And uh -huh. that's the investment, you know, that's the investment that when you put in the time and the effort, 
to, you know, to strength train and, and to do conditioning, you're building up, you know, it's, it's cliche, but you're really building up wealth in that, in that account. And then you mm. do something like, you know, like jujitsu, like, oh yeah, I can still hang. That's cool. Yes. True. Okay. So tell us about this, Eric. So you, you did your degree. Was it straight yep. into autism fitness? Was it general fitness? How, how did it sort of work when you first graduated? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I first graduated, I became a personal trainer and I started working with a general population. And at the time, I was also going to graduate school for behavioral psychology. And okay. at that point, I thought, okay, I want to mash together psychology and fitness. So I thought, oh, I'll go into sports psychology or something like that. I didn't even know hmm. what existed. And in one of my behavior science classes, I had a classmate who said, hey, you know, I'm aware you're a personal trainer and I work in this program in, in New York City or Manhattan or the city as we called it in New York. I work in this program in the city with teenagers on the autism spectrum and we've never had a dedicated structured fitness program. You know, we've tried some stuff with sports and it hasn't really worked out. Would you be interested in, in working with us? And so I thought, interesting sure it wasn't an immediate no but it definitely wasn't an immediate yes i i had some experience working with the autism population in summer camp programs and it was something that interested me enough but it wasn't something that i said yes this is the you know eureka moment for me and this is what i want to do however when i started working with this program that i still consult with to to this day uh i think it's like 19 and a half 20 something years now wow I realized, oh, number one, what I loved was that there was this concurrence, there was this overlap between the best practices in fitness programming and in biomechanics and in human performance and best practices in behavior support and in um, you know, educational support, all of these things. And I thought, oh, there's some interesting parallels here. And then I realized o over time, probably over months, that nobody else was doing this. Mm. And I think, you know, even two decades later, the reason is that you have a lot of compartmentalization mm. of different practices. So you have this gap between the fitness or the strength and, and conditioning community and then the autism or neurodiverse community. And so I started working with, I, I had met a few behavior therapists and, and it was always the same thing it's, it, because a lot of um, applied behavior analysis and ABA therapy is based in early intervention. And then I would meet these therapists who said, I have these 12 year old and 13 year old boys and I have no idea what to do with them. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I, th I think I know what to do with them. You know, let's them carry heavy stuff and squat and push and pull. And it seemed to resonate and it seemed to work also. So the, wait, did you, the fundamental you took, base. Wait, you, you took that job, Eric, when you're, you're. Oh yeah. 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 Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. But it was to check it out. Absolutely. It was like, ah, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I said, I'm okay. sure this is my well, life passion. I, I, but I, I, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I've been with them in some capacity ever since. So it, you know, it, it, it's been remarkable to, to see that process. And, and so it, it became, something where I realized this is necessary because this population and, and we'll, we'll get into it later about some of the, the deficits and some of the challenges and the obstacles, but this population desperately needs to move and, and move well and have opportunities. And there's this 
chasm. There's this huge gap between what we know is going to be beneficial and actually implementing it. And that's so that was the foundation of autism fitness is based in that is here are valid practices that are structured in a way where there's going uh, there's going to be a successful outcome and this is a population that we know i don't think anybody would argue mm-hmm. that the neuro neuroadaptive population does not need fitness like we're okay we're good mm-hmm. we don't we don't need it i don't think that's the case i think the case is more Number one, awareness, but but to me, it's more implementation. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. So keep, keep going along that story, Eric. So when you started training mm-hmm. this population, this was group training, was it? Was it one-on-one training? What did it kind of look like? Uh, mostly, mostly one-to-one, and then I was also teaching some adapted PE classes. Um, and I'd say that's that whenever you have groups, and what I learned also is that there's no – if you're doing – physical education right or you're doing group programming right then all classes are adapted meaning you're never you're never going to have across the board the same skill set and that's why and and i apologize now because i'm going to repeat this uh multiple times but the key to any program when you're introducing more people into it or even one-to-one is scalability you have to be able to modify things based on what's in front of you, who's in front of you and how they're, how they're reacting and how they're performing. Mm. And so I was running both one-to-one and, and some, some group programs as well. I've run several group programs, um, both in, uh, in, in clinical settings and research settings. And those, always, I always learn a lot from those as well. And then I started writing and presenting about it also. So I would, I would present at, at autism conferences. And, and one of the, one of my beacon moments, I was presenting at a conference. This is probably, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And they said, Oh, you know, we know you're presenting on fitness, but we don't know where to put you like what category. So we put you in alternate therapies and I'm laughing to myself. I'm thinking alternative to what, like mm. not moving. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's do that. But as I really, I didn't care as long as I'm presenting. I'm like, all right, put me in whatever you want. Yeah, gotcha. And then yeah. how did it? So, yeah. So, there you go. Let's take a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Oh, I, I was going to say, so it, it, you know, in, in working with so many athletes over that time in varied situations um, from home settings where we have like 10 square feet of space to work with and we have to make it work to, uh, to gyms, to schools. I have been in or trained people in uh 
every conceivable environment, maybe with the exception of on a plane or on a houseboat, <laughs> I can say I, I, I've done a session in just about every other type of environment. Love it. How did it get from that, Eric, to you putting together the, the CEU course or the certification yeah. from you training yeah. to teaching others? Yeah. Well, it dawned on me at some point that other people would benefit from this information. And I like structure. I, I like structure. I like having a, I like having a plan and I like having a way to look at things also not, you know, there's a balance between structure and rigidity, mm. but I like dealing with principles, mm. meaning, okay, well, how do we, how do we look at this thing, you know, philosophically and then practically and how do we implement it? And I, started from the articles and the presentations people were asking well do you have a certification is there some way that you can teach me how to do what you do and what was cool about it and, and this stands to this day and it still is one of the coolest parts of the level one certification we get fitness trainers we get occupational and physical therapists we get parents um speech pathologists behavior therapists um registered behavior technicians, special educators, um, recreation that like this whole, whole gamut of different backgrounds and, and different relationships with the neuroadaptive and autism population, because fitness is, is a commonality, like fitness will improve different areas of life. And if that seems, so if that seems to like, esoteric or, or, or too, or too conceptual. So a speech therapist will take, will take the level one certification. They will use movement and some of the exercises in order to teach prepositions. So rather than sit at a table and point to a diagram of left, right, over, under, why can't we do that with cone touches? Why can't we do that with hurdle steps? Why can't we do that with rope swings? Why can't we find a more robust and integrated way to teach these things while actually improving somebody's health and movement and well-being. Yeah, love it. Okay, cool. Well, let's get into some um, some tips now, Eric. So let's say there's a fitness professional watching this and they're like, you know what? Yeah. I'm potentially interested in this uh, training, this population here. Let's start with, with what is it? I mean, you've mentioned autism, the autism spectrum, yeah. um, neuroadaptive community, can you let us a little bit let us know a little bit about those terms? Is one an umbrella term, and then yeah. what specifically is the spectrum? Yeah. And does does Asperger's fit in there as well? Tell us tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we talk about the the neuroadaptive community, that's kind of the whole umbrella of autism, and of course, um, Asperger's high functioning autism would would fit in under that. And really, what we're looking at is diversity of uh, neurological functioning, and particularly in the autism population, we we see a couple things. We have uh, many challenges in communication, which lead to challenges in socialization as well. And and there's some some myths around that. It's not that individuals with autism necessarily are non-social or antisocial. It's just again coming back to that gap. They may have some difficulties in expressive language, for example, or can you, can you give um, us some examples? Uh, Could you give us some examples yeah. there? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have athletes who will come into the gym to work uh, to work with me in a one-to-one -one session, and I have to give them an extra prompt or a little extra time for them to say hello 
to me because it's not an automatic or or learned response. And so in that case, we're going to take a little extra time so that we can teach that, that, um, that social interaction or that social contingency, right? And it's not the case necessarily that they don't want to. It's the way that I like to describe it is this is not an all or nothing. Like this mm-hmm. is not binary. It's more of a dimmer switch. Yep. So let's say someone's right now, their, their expressive language is at, you know, a one or a two, or I have plenty of athletes who are completely nonverbal, mm-hmm. in which case they need some type of uh, alternate communication form. And it could be a visual system. It, you know, could be something on, on the iPad, on their phone, you know, what, whatever works for them or whatever we, we figure out works for them. And so in, in that case, we have the communicative component that's often a deficit. So something is something that we, we might be working on. We also have self-regulation um, as well. Some individuals are prone to high levels of anxiety. We may see um, a lot of wandering, distraction. At the extreme, we may see uh, meltdown behavior or tantrums, which are two different things brought about by um, either change, sometimes transitioning from one situation or one environment to another. Um, sometimes, uh, um, you know, any new stimuli, exercise, for example, can be aversive in the beginning because it's something new. It can be overwhelming. So that self-regulatory capability is also something that we we experience a lot um, in the neurodiverse community. And then we also see some of the 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 things that are considered, you know, classical hallmarks of autism, um, perseveration around certain topics, or for example, I have one athlete who I was working with earlier today who will obsessively pick up pieces of the turf that are stray that he finds, you know, when, when we're training, he actually stopped pushing the sled today about six times so that he could pick up pieces of turf off of, off the sled. So in many cases, your normal strength and conditioning session. And in many other cases, you're not so normal strength. And yes, we're pushing the sled, but there might be some latency between getting it all the way across the turf because, you know, he has to pick up pieces of dust along the way. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, let's dive deeper. And I think, I think probably the best way to do this, because yeah. the, the follow-up question from here is essentially, all right, cool. You know, if, if a, um, a fitness professional has someone on the autism spectrum, what are some things yeah. to consider? But I think what we can do is maybe weave that into your talking about your certification as well, where we can say, sure. hey, here's Eric certification. You know, module one mm-hmm. covers this sort of stuff, and this is important because do you want to tell us a little bit about that, both the certification yeah. and some, some tips for the fitness professional? Yeah, absolutely. So everything that I, I do and everything that you learn in, in the certification is based on my methodology, which I call the PAC profile. So, and that's not because I thought, hey, we need a really cool acronym here, uh, but really it's based on the the necessary components of what I do and, and how we need to approach um, this or, or any population really in, in, in a fitness space in order for it to be the most productive for, for everybody involved. So the difference with the PAC profile or the autism fitness method and, you know, standard programming is I don't have the luxury of just sending out workout templates of saying, okay, here's, you know, the autism fitness medicine ball workout, or here's the autism fitness battle rope workout. Because there's the physical, so you have the exercises, you have biomechanics, you have how well 
this athlete performs this particular exercise, right? So then we progress it or we modify it as needed because we want to take into account, you know, uh, you know, proper performance and injury prevention and, and good form. Then you have the adaptive. Now, this is probably the most important takeaway of anything that I'm saying here today. If, uh, whatever people take away from this, they take away. But the adaptive component concerns motivation and focus. So what happens inevitably is someone who is interested with it in or is working with this population has an obstacle where an athlete is insufficiently motivated mm. or their anxiety level is elevated and something is going on behaviorally that's just not working. If that's the case, you can have the greatest program in the world, whatever that means on paper or on a screen. If you can't implement it, then it's null and void. So in order to overcome that obstacle, we have to figure out what is going to be motivating for this athlete. How are we going to implement some type of contingency plan? And I'll come back to that. And then how do we communicate that to our athlete as well? And this is where, Jono, I've been contacted by so many fitness professionals who say, hey, I have this parent or I have this teacher who wants me to work with you know, kids or teens or adults on the autism spectrum. And I want to do it, but I don't know how, how or it's overwhelming or, you know, I, I had an experience where this athlete was not following directions or not able to follow it. What do I do? Mm. Everything in this curriculum answers that question of what do I do and how do I do it really well, where, where the outcomes are, are beyond phenomenal. And we've seen that, you know, the world over. So finally, so you have physical, you have adaptive, which is behavioral and motivational, and then you have cognitive. Now, cognitive is two parts. You have the neurological, which is you know, the, the cognitive functioning. So you have memory, you have um, expressive language, and you have the ability to follow directions as well. And then we have neuromuscular, which is kinesthetic awareness. Like, what's my range of motion? Can I press that? I was doing this today with an athlete. I had an athlete who was pressing. We have our sand bells and he's pressing a pair of two pound or one kilo or one point something kilo um, <laughs> sand bells overhead. And he's getting it about halfway up to him. He's doing it correctly. It's just that he's not doing it with full range of motion because he doesn't either one, he doesn't understand the expectation is all the way up or two, his body awareness isn't differentiating just yet the difference between his arm halfway up and his arm completely all the way up. And that's so important because it makes the difference between that exercise being truly beneficial for the athlete and the athlete just kind of, you know, getting through it. And I refuse to allow an athlete to just get through something. I want them thriving through something. So that's why I developed the PAC proto protocol, because if something is missing or something's not working, we examine those three, what's going on physically, what's going on adaptively, what's going on cognitively. And if you can answer all three of those, guaranteed your program is going well. If you can't answer all three of those, then something's probably missing. Can you give us an example for each one of those, Eric? Like, let's say there's, just to make sure I understand this, let's say there's, sure. there's an athlete. I've said, hey, you know, here's the workout for today. And for whatever reason, that athlete um, isn't doing it. Am I right in saying yeah. that with, your, with your system, I'd be like, all right, is it a P, is it an A, or is it a C? 
And then yeah. depending on which one of those it is, I'd have a specific yep. thing that say, all right, it's a, it's an A. Yeah. Could, could you give us an example? Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. give us an example of A, because I think that's the one that really interests yeah. me. Oh, totally. And that's such an awesome question too, because sometimes, sometimes those are mutually exclusive, meaning let, yeah, let's look gotcha. at the P. So physical functioning, let's look at, at hurdle steps, right? So we have an athlete who I say like this morning, Hey, Sam, we're going to do hurdle steps. I'll go first. And then it's your turn. And Sam is right there with me. I do the, uh, I do the hurdle step and then he follows my lead and then he does the hurdle step but I see a lot of knee valgus. I see internal hip rotation. What does that tell me? This is not an adaptive issue. He's following my direction to the best of his ability. The exercise is just being presented or, or being coached at too challenging a level. So in that case, that to me is easy. You know, that's, that's the easiest of all three. Okay. We just lower the hurdles. Now, the, the barrier to performing with quality movement, much lower. We modified it. He's getting what he needs out of it without any compensatory movement. We're great. So that's where physical functioning can be. Um, you know, it, it, we, can, we can pull that out and say, all right, this is not an adaptive issue. It's not motivation. It's not cognitive functioning. He clearly understands what he needs to be doing here this is, and it's not always hundred percent clear like that, but in this case, you know, in this example, oh, we just need to lower the hurdles. All right. We lower the hurdles. Great. And then eventually, you know, we, we find a way to, to increase the challenge level, but that's easy. Adaptive functioning is where it gets really interesting because this can be highly individualized. But as I said before, you know, we have some principles and we have some practices that will work in the vast majority of situations. So when we have an unmotivated athlete, we can set up the, the first thing that we want to do. And we always, we always approach the athlete with respect, regardless mm. of what our perceptions are or what our information is around their cognitive functioning, you know, because we have athletes who have a, a, a lot of, you know, cognitive functioning challenges and the ability to follow directions or the ability to interpret directions, et cetera. If it's an adaptive issue, the first thing that I want to do is set up a very clear contingency. So I, if I have an athlete who I know is going to step over, let's take that hurdle step example again, they're going to step over two hurdles and then they're going to wander to the other side of the room and they're done with it. Well, I have to think having five hurdles in a row, it's probably too much of an expectation right now. So I take a couple of those away. I put three hurdles out and then I tell that athlete, Hey, you have three hurdle steps, and then you can take a break, or then you can look out the window, or then you can, you know, then you can do sandbell slams or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the, the key there is having something, if this, then that, which in ABA terminology, we refer to as the pre-MAC principle, but this is something that, this is where I call, I, I call it the, the luxury that we don't have. Typically, and this is one of the big differences um, with working with the neuroadaptive population versus working with the neurotypical or, or sports specific population, even if you have someone, uh, you know, a, a neurotypical general population client who is complaining throughout the entire session, they're still doing it. Mm. Right? They complain, but there's something that's motivating them. And, you know, the, typically 
in in gen, in general population, it's you know body composition, you know muscle gain, fat loss, feeling better, um, you know all of the and and those are all great reasons too. Right? But but you have that inherent secondary, you know that you have that primary motivation and reinforcement. In the autism population, I have no guarantee that a lot of my athletes, particularly if they're nonverbal, are going to understand why they are in the fitness session, understand the expectations during fitness, understand why am I having them take this sandbell and press it overhead, understand why I'm having them do a box squat, right? It's just, it, you have that abstraction to it. So what do I do? I want to clarify it as much as possible. And usually that's going to, when you, when someone is aware of the expectation and knows what's going to happen next, there tends to be less anxiety. And I think the Petri dish of our global situation over the last two and a half years is an example of that between COVID and, you know, governmental instability and everything else. People are on edge. Why? Because we don't know what's happening next. There are memes about it, but we don't all, all know. And that's what anxiety does. So if I can decrease anxiety, I get a more focused, motivated athlete. So that's where adaptive functioning becomes an absolute necessity. Like you can't, you're not going to get away if you're working in this space with this population with not having those fundamental principles of, of best behavior support strategies. It's not going to happen. All right. And then finally, cognitive, it's the way that we communicate to an athlete and it's the way that we coach and cue. I think that the conversation has had a lot in the space of fitness and strength and conditioning with the, the term overcoaching mm. where you're providing way too much information to an athlete. And so it's, I refer to it as bonsai coaching where we're pruning away everything that is unnecessary, mm. at least in the beginning and just getting to what are the essential pieces of information that this athlete needs. And if I can get away with saying less, even better, mm -hmm. right? Now that's not to say that my, my session with an athlete is gonna be a silent film. You know, it, depending on who they are, I, I've had some, some great conversations uh, with athletes over the years about a variety of different topics from uh, shipwrecks to dinosaurs, to medical maladies, to some, some really far out there philosophical musings. But the key is when I'm cueing them to do an exercise or when I'm giving them directions, I want to respect their capabilities, at least as best I know them, so that I'm giving all the information they need and none of the information they don't. And that is a practice. That is an art and a science. Yes. Love it. A couple questions with that, Eric. Yeah. First one around age. Now, I, haven't, I should have asked this at the start. The type sure. of athletes that you train, what kind of ages are we, is it kids? Is it adults, adolescents, the whole range? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you get, you know, you had, you had asked me before the interview, is there anything off topic? Like there's nothing, the only thing that ever like, okay. So poor form drives me nuts. But um, the other thing is the idea that all fitness programs for the autism or neuroadaptive population are for kids because mm -hmm. this is kind of a it's kind of a, a training that everybody has where they it, um i i've i've had great conversations with my my friend and colleague um uh greg austin who runs a facility called inclusive fitness 
uh, about the what we call the infantilization of the neuroadaptive population. And the best way to illustrate that is if I put up a video, for example, of me working with what is clearly an adult, like a 25, 30 year old athlete, yep. someone might comment, oh, this is a great program for kids with autism. And it's like, no, this is not a kid. This is a grown man that, mm. that I'm working with right now. And I think the... I, I think in the general public, what I'd love to see is the eradication of special needsifying everything, where just because it's for special needs that it's automatically good, or just because it's special needs, it's automatically for kids, because that's not the case. Mm. Autism is lifelong. Yeah. Neuroadapt neuroadaptive life is lifelong. So in my own practice, I've worked with ages as young as five. Um, and and so in my practice right now, my youngest athlete is nine. My oldest athlete is 66. Yeah, wow. So quite quite the range. And and follow up to that one. This you you I'm guessing you use the pack system regardless, right? Whether someone's five or whether it's six. Yeah, oh totally. Yeah. Use that. 100%. But there's probably different ways you will implement it. Is that right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if if I've so some of my, uh, I have an athlete right now who, you know, drives himself to, to the session. We have a full, you know, to, to anyone who's just observing, it is a strength and conditioning session. Yeah. And that to me is the ultimate. That's, I just want to be a, a, a good coach. That's mm. all I want, in, especially in this space. Um, I, I want to, I, I've been asked about like, what's my ultimate goal or what's it look like when we get to the point where it's not the population that I work with, but the merit of how good a coach I am, mm. that then we're in a good a good place. Just because now here here's a contingency. Just because it is for the neuroadaptive or you know if we want to put in quotes special needs population, doesn't automatically make it good coaching and good training. Mm. Good coaching and good training makes it good coaching and good training. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Follow up question with that. You touched on the term yep. high function, high functioning autism. Yeah. Do you want to let us know a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So it go, it kind of goes back and forth and, and they're still working on, I think some of the revisions um, in, ter in terms of the nomenclature or terminology or whatever we call it. So Asperger's and, and high functioning autism are, or are synonymous and it's individuals who may present with some social quirks and, and may not necessarily, um, I'll just, just as an example, may not pick up sarcasm mm -hmm. necessarily, or may have difficulty in, in nuanced social settings. And, you know, just a couple of examples as well, may have a high level of anxiety, may not understand, uh, or may have difficulty with representational thinking or abstracts. For example, I may have an athlete who we can have a conversation, but if I say to them, okay, you're going to push this sled, push it as fast as a cheetah. They may not make that connection between the mm. as fast as a, this thing that I'm using as a representational uh, type to describe what I want them to do. Let's take a quick break. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? 
And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Gotcha. And the, I, I was I saw an example on TV last night. Actually, there was a, a show, and there was an a doctor actually that had Asperger's. And the <clears> example that kind of yeah. summarized it for me: some of his colleagues were like, "Hey, do you want to go out for a drink tonight?" And I'm sure that means the same thing in America: go out for the drink. You uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Go out and drink alcohol, right? And he was like, "Oh, yeah. I'm not thirsty, thanks." And I was like, "Okay, yes, that's a good way yes. to to look at it like that." Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. That's now, a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, that, that summarized it for me. So, okay, say there's someone like that, Eric, um, Asperger's yeah. or, or high functioning. Do you, will, will someone even like, I guess the question here is, is around a combination of like pre screening. Will you even know? Should you even ask? Would you make it any yeah. different? What are your kind of, what's your take there? Yeah, I, you know, I want enough relevant and pertinent information in my intake form. But after that, I really need to, like, every individual, has a personality. Yeah. All right. And with some of my athletes, it may take me a little bit longer to, you know, to catch that personality to go, oh, okay, this is what makes them tick. And you know, this is how they are. So ultimately it comes down and, and you know, as cliche as this may sound, but just getting to know that person. Yeah. And I don't, I need to know the diagnosis and I need to know medical history. I need to know behavioral history because these are relevant and important, you know, safety things for me. I need to know, okay, is there, you know, a history of seizures? Is there a history of eloping, meaning they're going to run out the door? Is there, you know, all of these things are certainly important for me to know. I don't want to go and saying, okay, I don't want to know anything about this athlete. Let me guess. Let me figure it out as I go along. But, you know, someone on on a google form is not the same as someone in yeah. in front of you and it can take a couple sessions um as it would with with anybody but it could take me you know eight or nine sessions with an athlete to say oh this is you know this is a personality thing that i get or oh they really like this exercise or oh if i you know if i put these two exercises together as a superset or as a circuit it works a lot better for them because as they get momentum i was doing that with an athlete today for example so he, if I go from, we were doing warmups and I, I thought, oh, you know, when he goes from hurdle step and then we move it over to cone touch and then we move it over to, you know, something else, he loses momentum a little bit. Like it takes him a little time to restart. So I thought, oh, well, screw it. I'm just going to put hurdle steps and then have him do cone touches. And then we're going to do a medicine ball throw this way. It's boom, 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 boom. The movement and the mechanics don't break down. It looks good. And we're getting more movement per, you know, per 10 seconds or, you know, without that latency in between. And that's the type of thing, again, when you have these principles to work with, you can figure these things out. Mm -hmm. If it's just, you know, randomized, you know, like, oh, I think this is going to work. I think that's going to work. That's, that's why I put together the pack profile, because it's a standard operating, it's a standard operating program for situations that can easily devolve into chaos mm -hmm. gotcha awesome all right well hey eric that's pretty much all i wanted to cover for today 
someone's int- someone's yeah. listening to this, watching to this, and they're like, all right, you know, this guy's cool. I want to follow him. I want to take the certification. Mm-hmm. Where do we go to yep. follow you? And where do we go to take the certification? Okay. So you follow me on Instagram at the autism fitness, uh, same thing on, on Facebook and then, uh, the autism fitness on YouTube as well. I post weekly video breakdowns that you also get through my, my newsletter on autismfitness.com. The way that the certification works. So it is a hybrid course. So if someone registers right now or right now, or right now, they get immediate access. You get immediate access to the course. So the course has eight, and I'll soon soon be adding a ninth um, video module. And those are uh, those you can stop, start whenever you, whenever you want. And then it was essential to me to have a hands-on component to it because we're teaching movement, we're coaching movement, we're learning movement, and so I do a live virtual practical via Zoom multiple times throughout the year. And I do it in different time zones as well. So for- (laughs) That was my next uh, question. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. For example, for those of you in Southeast Asia or Australia on your uh, July 22nd, my July 21st, I'll be doing the virtual practical. I'll be teaching uh, from 9 p.m. my time to 5 a.m. I promise I will be, I I will be awake for the whole thing. And Mm -hmm. everybody practices the, the exercises the progressions, the modifications, because these things are important. It's not just the exercise. It's the way that you implement the exercise and then the behavior support practices, the coaching and cueing. And people come out of that, that practical, you know, when, when the question comes up, you know, oh, can I take the whole thing online? You can, however, when people come out of that virtual practical, it's always this light bulb moment of, oh, now I know why we did that. Like I actually, I did it. I got to see other people do it. I got to interact with other people around the world. And you're taking away something that you can implement the very next day. And that's uh, that's something that is inherent to what I think a successful program needs to have is, is that practical experiential component. Yes. So absolutely. in order to register, go to autismfitness.com, go to that certification page. And I even did, so John, no, I, I don't think I've ever gotten as awesome and and overwhelmingly positive a response as when I posted and just said hello and spoke about autism fitness just the smallest bit in in your Facebook group and so what I did was I did a significant discount code for your audience um which takes $150 off of the, off of the certification. Woo. And that's going to be the, yeah, uh, uh, the first 20 people um, who register can use code. And I'm sure you'll send this out, but it's going to be FEO, all capitalized, FEO 150. And that's going to be the first 20 people from your crew who register because that, that outpouring was that was just phenomenal. If, if you're listening to this and you missed it, um, I had I, I saw Eric around the place. I was like, Eric, join this Facebook group. You know, I want to get you my podcast. Eric made a post. He's like, hey, guys, what's happening? I'm Eric. You know, I, I specialize in um, uh, or I've got a certification around training clients with, on the autism spectrum. And then there were just like 50 likes and like 20 comments being like, give me more info. <laughs> How can I do this course? It's available in Australia. And I'm like, man, yeah. I, I wish I got that sort of response when I posted. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. All right. well, Eric, that's pretty much all I wanted to get through. Is there anything yeah. I should have asked you but forgot to or anything you want to finish us off with? 
Um, I think we got to everything that's really important. I, I would say that to, to anybody who feels like this is something that they really want to pursue in, in their practice, number one, it's essential to understand we, we have a phrase in the certification, know what you're looking at. And that comes back to physical, adaptive, and cognitive. And think about the fact that it's it's not a question of, oh, I'm going to switch to all neurodiverse athletes or all mm. autism athletes. Having a few neurodiverse athletes in, in your practice, in your business, is going to serve a couple things. Thing number one is it's going to teach you so much mm. about communication, yeah. about physical performance, about how to modify exercises. Second, it's going to introduce that, that, that individual to other people in the world and give mm. them some, some social and interactive opportunities. And third, you are going to be offering something to a demographic that has been it just underserved in the most egregious ways in terms of quality movement and fitness experiences. And that's the reason I created the certification is I just wanted to, I, I wanted to create a standard of practice for people who are really dedicated to doing this. And I'll say it's not for everybody, but for the people who want to take it on, it, it will be extraordinary. Yes. Awesome. All right. So I will put that link in the show notes. I'll put the discount code as well. Uh, and just mm -hmm. to put it in perspective as well, it's it's what, 10 p.m. over there, is it, Eric? Uh, yeah, 9.45 p.m. So if you're listening to this in Australia, it's like, how motivated is this guy going to be at, you know, at, at 10 p.m.? This is him at 10 p.m. right now. Yeah, yeah. So. This is me without caffeine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on, a, on a chilled podcast, I can imagine on the certification, yeah. you'll have no drama staying up till 5 no, I hit, I kind of hit my stride at 2am. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. All right, Eric, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star review for show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business. Visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Well, check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.